Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here on a long holiday weekend, so I um, got stuck in that traffic coming back from Cape Town, and I'm like, man, I know better than this. I've lived here long enough. I should know this, this route really well, and still got stuck in it. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, from which Derek has just read, and I want you to look at verse 10 in just a moment. So we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're in a series, this is now part two in our series on encounters with Christ, and what we're doing is we're looking at different parts of our Bible where we see Jesus interacting with people. I think one of the greatest examples for us as followers of Christ is to watch how Jesus interacted with people, because when we see him doing that, I get a picture of me, I get a picture of him, And he speaks to me about how he wants me to live out this Christian life that we have. So this series could go on for many more parts. And maybe we'll come back on another one. This is going to be a four-part series. So last week we looked at the journey of Jesus with the two men on the Emmaus Walk and everything that was precious about that. Today we look again at a common passage of Scripture when we look at John 4 and we look at the woman at the well. Now, there's a reason these passages are common and they're familiar to us is because God often speaks so loudly through certain passages of Scripture, not that all Scripture is inspired, particularly here. So what I want to do is I was going to take it in one big chunk, but it's too big. So we're going to look at part of it today, and then we'll look at part of it next week and look at how Jesus encounters. I think through John chapter 4, there are probably, if I was a movie maker, I would divide it into four scenes. So we're going to look at scene one and scene two today. Next week, we'll look at scene three and scene four. Now, if you have a handout, here's what we're going to look at this morning as we begin then. What if you knew the gift of God? Would you receive it? What is the gift? And then what is the gospel? I've been very intentional these last few weeks at making sure we understand what the gospel is because Jesus Christ You see this regularly. In every encounter he has, he's always bringing people back to the gospel. He's always bringing people back to himself. So I've given you some blanks on there, have I not? Um, So look at that with me, and I want you to fill in those blanks, and I'm going to ask you, I've even given you some lead-in words on that. Does anybody need one of these? i got one left. Is there? Okay, everybody got one? Okay, Derek? Good. We love to get rid of all of them, Okay. Okay, and grab a pen as well, hey? Okay, so fill that in. I've given you what those four blanks are. The gospel is, and then we often do it in three parts and sometimes four parts. I like the fourth part because it helps us to understand what Jesus was getting at. So go ahead and fill those in. The gospel is, and it's at least these Four things. How many of you have that written down? Forget you're at church and you can't talk. It's just a small group. Pretend we're having a Bible study today. That would be much more fun for me, okay? So what is the first? The gospel is what? The death. The second word is burial. Third word, 
Okay, and then I've added a fourth appearance. There you go, there you have it. The death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus Christ. Okay, the death was accomplished, and the result of that was there was a burial. There was and is a resurrection, and the outcome of that resurrection is the appearance. That's why I think that, that, uh, that Paul puts that on there, because we needed proof of the resurrection. Even today, if you think about this, in, in just having celebrated Easter, if we'd had the resurrection without any proof of Jesus being seen, today, today people would argue that, no, they stole Jesus' body. Remember, that's what, that was the deal. We're going to pay these guys, and, and they're going to steal the body, and they're gonna, you know, they've hidden the body. Where, where did it go? They would still be arguing that today. So Jesus appeared to over 500 people, and so that's important to the gospel as well. Didn't accomplish the gospel, it's proof of the gospel. Okay, now you got your Bibles open to John chapter 4 and verse 10. We'll get to this verse, but let's look at it in light of the question because what is the gift? Well, the gift is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sin and my sin so that I could have eternal life. And so the question this morning is have you received the gift? Have you been born again? Do you have new life in Christ? That's what he's going to get at today in our text. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, which is really the gospel of God, if you knew the gospel and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, so Jesus is now confronting this woman at the well and he's confronting her with the very gift which Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the gospel, which is receiving him. Much like the Emmaus watch that we saw, uh, walk we saw last week, they were with Jesus, but they didn't know it was him. And the same is true of the woman at the well. For a very long part of the conversation, she doesn't know who this is. And she's very confused about what he's saying to her. So let's look at it this way. Our Jesus encounter today reveals that people are thirsty. But here's, here's the theme today. But not everybody drinks. Not everybody drinks. People are thirsty. People, you and I encounter people. This is the, the important part of the series. We encounter people regularly who are thirsty. They don't even know what they're thirsty for and they long for something but they won't, they won't drink. They won't drink. And you have to believe this is true. There are 7 billion people roaming the earth today, of which maybe if you exaggerate the figures, maybe a fourth of the people in the world today of that 7 billion have actually drank and have living water. Three quarters of them do not. As we speak today in Little Hermanus, in our little church, we have the freedom of expressing the gospel. There are countries in the world today where you cannot do this. They throw you in jail, they'll punish you, they'll beat you up. So there's a large number of people. We, we live in a Christian world. My dentist is a Christian. My doctor is a, a, a Christian. My auto mechanic's a Christian. I shop at the Christian store. We live in a Christian world, many of us, but a lot of people outside of the Christian context don't know about this living water. And that's what he's getting at 
in this passage of Scripture. So here's what we're going to do like we did last week. I'm going to go through the text, and we're going to answer these questions. What does Jesus reveal about them, or me, in the passage of Scripture? What does Jesus reveal about himself in the Scriptures? And then what do I need to do? I think there has to be an outcome. There has to be an expression of what I see and what I hear as Jesus speaks to me today about what he's doing in the passage of Scripture. Okay, so let's do this then. You got your Bibles into John chapter 4. I'm going to move through the text, and in an expository way, I would, I would stay here much longer, but we're going to move sort of fast as we go through this, and we're going to look at the first two scenes today. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of John 4 and get the lay of the land. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2 says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. Okay, so let's understand what's happening in the text of Scripture because this is important to what we're looking at. Look up just a little bit further in John chapter 3 and get the gist of why Jesus is making this journey that helps explain where he's at. So look at John chapter 3. Just let your eyes roll up to the previous chapter. It's too bad there are chapter breaks in our Bible because this is one continuous passage. Start in verse 25 that helps explain why Jesus is leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, verse 26, chapter 3. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered and said, a person... Uh, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from him, given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And then down to verse 30, which John wants to make really clear. He must increase and I must decrease. Okay, let's, let's have an understanding of what's happening in the scriptures. Jesus is needing to leave Judea, and he's going to make a trip to Galilee. And the reason for that is because what John tells us in the passage of Scripture is that um, people are beginning to try to create a conflict between Jesus and, and John the Baptist. John, knows, John the Baptist knows his role. He's the foreteller of the Messiah who's to come. But the Pharisees want to... The Pharisees want to want to use that as a way of saying, no, look, 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 people are following your disciples. They're following John the Baptist and Jesus didn't baptize anybody. And I think what's happening in the text is Jesus realizes way too early in his ministry to be having this kind of controversy. And he's not, he's, he, he's going to leave based on his own free will. He's not fearful. He's not running from anything. He realizes that there is a climax beginning to happen here in Judea. And this is way too early in my ministry. I've got a lot more things I need to do. So let's do this. I'm going to leave Judea, Judea and get away from this controversy and this tension that the Pharisees are trying to make. And I'm going to go up to Galilee. So he's going to make a journey then. And I've shown you on the map a little bit about what that looks like. Now, in order to go from Judea and Jerusalem up to Nazareth or up to Galilee, you would normally just go through Sychar or you would go through Samaria. Okay, now many of you know that as a, as a Jew, 
a Jew would not go directly through Samaria. And so I've showed you on the route here, and this is, um, forgive me for being a visual learner, but if I see things, I grasp things much better. And so the map, just like the map we saw last week, is to try to understand why did Jesus go there? Because we see this in the text, and it's important for us to understand. Look at verse 3. So he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. And look at verse 4. It's critical. You should have under the underline this in your Bible. And it says in the scriptures, and he had to pass through Samaria. Oh, really? Well, I read the Bible and I go like, why? Why would, you, why would you have to go to Samaria? So apparently Jesus is expressing his heart here of something that he had to do. Because the normal route would be like this. As a Jew, he would take the long way around. Either he'd go along the coast, or he would go inland. He'd go either way because Jews would not associate with Samaritans. They just wouldn't do it. So as an Orthodox Jew, you would avoid Samaria because there was a long-standing, deep-seated hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Many of you know this. The Samaritans were a mixed race. They were part Jew and they were part Gentile. And it grew out of the Assyrian captivity that happened in this land in the early 700s of B.C. Well, the Jews rejected the Samaritans because they saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And as a result, they didn't even know their own genealogy. And because they weren't Jew, the Jews then despised them and saw them as half-breeds. And so, in essence, there was this fueled fire amongst Samaritans uh, or Jews that they, they weren't really even complete in God. There weren't even whole people. There were, there were, as I was saying, there were a bit of like half-breeds. And so there was this prejudiceness of Jews against Samaritans. So why would you go around? Because you wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. You would avoid them at all cost. Listen to what Don Carson says, the theologian. After the Assyrians captured Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 B.C., they departed all the Israelites of substance and they settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with surviving Israelites and they adhered to some form of their ancient religion. 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18, you can read about that. After the exile of the southern kingdom in Babylon, Jews returning to their homeland viewed the Samaritans not only as children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. In about 400 BC, the Samaritans erected a rival temple in Mount Gerizim. Okay, now that's really important because now what the Samaritans have done, they said, we're going to create our own religion. We're going to create our own gods. And as a result of that, they were truly despised by, um, by the Jews. Now, we don't have to use much of our imagination to figure this out and to figure out even in our own land um, the prejudices that I carry and the prejudices that you carry. Our first trip to South Africa was in 1998 when God began to do a work in us and we realized that we were called to this country to do ministry. So 
that's just for many of us who understand that's just on the other side of apartheid, right? So nearly 20 years in the country, and I still am very, very, very cautious, and I'm very careful when we speak on this topic. Because when we talk about injustice, when we talk about prejudices, I think I have very little to say. I should sit down, and I should listen to you. As a young boy, I didn't understand it, but I saw the civil rights movement happen in the United States. The United States just honored Martin Luther King, who was assassinated 50 years ago this month. A civil rights Baptist pastor who didn't get everything right, but he fought, he fought for justice. He said, according to God, that all people are equal. And in, in America, he was saying, listen, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what color your skin is. What matters is that you're all created in the image of God, and therefore you are equal. So therefore, we should stop treating people different because of skin color. And because of his proclamation of that, they shot him and they killed him. He was assassinated. Many of you, in conversations, you have told me stories of what it was like in South Africa pre-apartheid. Some of you sitting here today come out of Zimbabwe in a country that's been torn by tension and prejudices. So this isn't anything new for us as followers of Christ. It was very much in the heart of God as he wrestled with Samaritans and Jews even as they worked through this. So signs like this are signs that aren't uncommon, and they're unfortunate, but it really wasn't that long ago that these signs existed, right? Do you remember, do you remember when it became illegal to discriminate against parks, swimming pools, drinking fountains, toilets, Libraries, do you remember when that happened? There's a movie, and being a visual learner, there's a movie out. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a really good movie that everybody should see. And the movie is called Help. Has anybody ever seen this movie called Help? The movie uh, portrays the early 1960s in the States, and I'm going to play a little film clip for you to illustrate what we're talking about this morning. And let me set the, the film up a little bit. There's a domestic worker who is in a house, and um, she has to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> and it's raining outside. But her toilet is outside the house. And the white people that live inside the house, their toilet is inside the house, which she's not allowed to use. Watch this film clip as you see this played out this morning. So in the passage of Scripture, um, Jesus has to go through Samaria because there's a lady there that he wants to meet. Let's pick it up in the passage of Scripture then and pick it up in verse 7. Here's a little bit about what it would have looked like. The woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying is to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying you have no husband. You actually have five husbands, and the one now that you're with, in essence, is not your husband. What you have said is true. The disciples have gone to get some food, which is a perfect setup for Christ now to be with this lady. And he doesn't approach her with some kind of sales talk or... Have any of you ever done the evangelism explosion class, which is a good evangelical training, but it's all pretty much a canned thing that you go through. Jesus doesn't do any of that. It's not culturally proper for him as a Jew to be there to begin with. As a man, a Jewish man, he would not speak to a Samaritan woman. Culturally a taboo, he would not have done that. So he breaks all these social customs Perceived prejudices sets him aside because Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. He breaks through that. And then he gathers up this amazing conversation as he interacts with this woman. And so Jesus then approaches her with the idea that he, he wants a drink. Now, in all fairness to her, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where, where do you get this living water? See, she's thinking materially. She's thinking the water's going to have to come up out of the well. Jesus is thinking spiritually. And so Jesus doesn't have a, um, he doesn't have a jug with him. He doesn't have a bucket. He has nothing to draw the water with, which is really confusing to her because she's got hers. But there's no way in the world that white Jew Jesus, whatever color he was, is going to drink is going to drink from her jug. It's just not going to happen. So therefore, she's saying like, well, how are you going to get this water? Because she didn't get it. She didn't understand what he's saying. Verse 12, she then changes the subject a little bit because she's trying to figure this out. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink that drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty and have to come to draw water again. Some people look at that last verse of scripture and they think, okay, well, Jesus has now converted her. She's come to faith. She has not. She has done what so many people in our culture and our day to day do. Like, Whatever this water is that will somehow bring me so I don't have to come back here and keep drawing water again, whatever it is that will fulfill me, give me that kind of water physically. She's thinking, I don't have to come to the well to get water anymore. He's saying, listen, no, 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 it's, it's a spiritual thing. She didn't get it. She didn't understand it. And that's what's true of so many people today with the gospel. I want Jesus because Jesus is going to make my life better. I'm going to want Jesus because Jesus will, well, he'll give me some spiritual dimension to my life. I want Jesus because life is too hard and it's much easier with Jesus. And people come to want to see who Jesus is, but they never come to a true salvation, saving grace of the true thirst, satisfied through this water that Jesus offers. So let's look then at our encounters because I know we don't like cheesy Jesus pictures, but maybe it was a little bit like this. The text says that he sat next to the well. So maybe he did sit up on the wall. So let's look at this then and let's talk about this. What does Jesus reveal about me in the passage of scripture? What does Jesus reveal about himself? And let's draw these conclusions as we wrap this up this morning. Here's the first. This encounter reveals how lost we are. Here's the mistake that everybody, almost everybody makes with John chapter 4 in our Bibles. We read John chapter 4 and we're like, okay, I'm going to learn evangelistic methods on how to reach people for Jesus Christ and bring the gospel to them. That's actually like not even the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to understand you are the woman at the well. You're not Jesus Christ trying to learn evangelism. You are the woman at the well who's lost and needs living water. So all these encounters that we look at through these weeks together is to understand I am lost, I am doomed, I am dead without Jesus Christ. I have no hope. I have no hope without Christ. Therefore, when we find ourselves as lost and dead and dry, then and only then can I come to Jesus Christ. Second is this. This encounter reveals that the fountain is always open. Jesus comes to this woman in the middle of the day. It's probably high noon because this is the only time the woman would have come to the well. She wouldn't have come when all the other women were coming to the well at dawn early morning or in the evening because this woman has been with five different men. She's now sleeping with a guy who's not even her husband. She is like scorned in the community. She's an outcast. She's an outcast that Jesus is passionately about reaching. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal what he's doing here. And so we see in the passage of scripture that 
the fountain, the offer, the offer of this water that will satisfy our souls is available, and it's available now. It's available now to us who want it. Third is this. This encounter reveals that you'll never be satisfied without Jesus. Okay, I'll take Jesus, but I got to have a nice job. And I'll take Jesus, but you're going to have to give me a comfortable life. I'll take Jesus, and we add all these other things onto Jesus, which is not right. Only Jesus Christ will satisfy your soul. There's coming a day when everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you are is going to be totally stripped away from you. And the only thing you'll have left is Christ. It's the only thing you'll have left. And we're moving through this world like we're trying to wrap everything else around us. And Jesus said, listen, listen, listen to me. It's always been about me. I have water that will satisfy your soul. This will satisfy you. So that's what he reveals about us. What does he reveal about himself? Here's the, here's the first. Jesus is always on a mission. I've got to go through Samaria. I've got to go. Why did he have to go there? Because there was one single lady in his life that he wanted to present himself to. We'll see next week because she calls him sir. She calls him Jew. She calls him rabbi. And then at the end, we'll see next week, she calls him Messiah because she begins to see and understand. I love what John Piper says. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may only be aware of about three of them at a time. Jesus is awesome in every way. Right now as I speak, there's 10 billion things swirling all around your life and my life. And I'm focusing on like these two, three, four things that I'm worried about. And he's like billions of things he's directing towards me. Jesus is always on a mission. You're in his heart. You're in his... his uh, Desire to, to know this and to understand it. Third, then, oh, that's the, the second part is then Jesus is all about relationships. Second, what does Jesus reveal about himself? What he's always on a mission. Second is it's, it's all about relationships. You were created in the image of God for relationships. You were created to have a relationship vertically, Jesus Christ, the gospel says that Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again, and appeared so that you could know him and you could be right with the Father. The other part that he desires for you is that you would have horizontal relationships. I would know you, Pastor Kim, as a dear friend, as a fellow elder, pursuing the things of Christ. We have a relationship together. That really is extremely valuable, not only to God, but to us. You're not a hermit. You were never meant to go this journey alone. You're about relationships. And Jesus is trying to connect this relationship for her. The third thing that we learn about Jesus is Jesus is ridiculously not racist. And I use the word ridiculously because it's so true. So true. We live and we do life and we do business and we do family in 
parts of our lives where segregation still exists. Based on the color of your skin, you'll be treated different today in this community or in other communities. But not according to Jesus. He doesn't doesn't get that. He doesn't get it at all. He saw this woman as incredibly valuable. And he loved her to no end as he came after her to share. So let's look at our third question and the last then. What do I need to do based on what I've witnessed? Well, here's the first. Examine if you've truly received the gospel and been born again. Listen, we're a little small new church started in Hermanus by a group of people in Somerset West who've been doing a church there. It would be really important as we grow and we learn and we become more of a church that everybody who comes to church hears about new life in Jesus Christ and is born again. The question this morning is, are you still thirsting for it or have you received it? Have you received the living water that Jesus offers? Second is this. Test to see if you're harboring any prejudices against other people. I shared with Tara, she didn't even know this story. Uh, When I was a a young guy, so I would have been grade seven, grade eight. And in in America, growing up in, and they would call that like middle school or junior high school is what they called it, pre-high school. I uh, played basketball, and I was only one of, like, two white guys on the team. Everybody else on our team was black. And these were my dearest friends. I grew up in a very interracial, inner-city community. But when it became Black History Month in America, my friends disowned me. And they became African-American, and all of a sudden there was this dissension for one month, the month of February, So much to the point that when I would leave school, I'd have to run from my school all the way to my house and hope somebody didn't jump me and beat me up. As an American in the late, um, early 70s, mid-70s in America. It's easy for us to develop prejudices of things that we're not even aware of. God breaks all those barriers. He's trying to break all those barriers down. If anybody, I just feel so bad talking like this because you should be telling me, but if anybody at all in this world who wants to make this right, it seems like it would be South Africans. And to thrill the heart of God by getting this right in this country. Is that an amen? Let's do it. We are the people, we are the believers to do that. The fourth is this. Lovingly and compassionately then reach out to others. We have a desire to reach out to others so they can have this living water that Jesus offers us. So our Jesus encounter today reveals that people are thirsty, but not everyone drinks. Here's how I want to close today. I'm going to give you those three application points right at the end. Here's how I want to close today. If you've never been born again, and given your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to see somebody today before you leave. See somebody who's sitting around you and say, listen, I've, 
I've never been born again and given my life to Jesus Christ. I believe the way that Jesus reached the Samaritan woman is the way that I would want somebody to reach me with that kind of love and that kind of compassion. And you're in a safe place to do that. You're in a safe place. But God forbid that even in the early days of starting a church, that somehow we would just move on like everybody knows Christ and is born again. I've done this for too long. It doesn't usually work like that. But let's not assume. Let's go after and understand what it is that Jesus is calling to as we understand the gospel. Okay, the three closing points are exactly the same as last week. <laughs> so if you got your notes from last week, here, here it is. Take this home with you and, 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 and let it penetrate your heart and your soul. View your life encounters through God's eyes. All of us are going to have encounters with Jesus this week. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. You're going to be confronted. You're going to encounter all kinds of things because Jesus is doing these 10,000 things around you. So be watching for it and be sensitive to how he's having you reach other people. Second is this. View your life encounters through God's expectations. Don't go at the encounter with what I can get out of it. Go at the encounter about what it is that Jesus wants to accomplish through the circumstance. And then the, the third, view your life encounters through God's excitement. Since there are 7 billion people in the world today, and you're a follower of Christ, then you, you represent the, our Lord and our Savior. You're going to interact in a world where most people are thirsty, but they, they haven't drank yet, or they won't drink. And you can't convert them, but you can sure share the gospel and talk about what it is that satisfies encounters with Christ. Next week, we're going to pick it up right where I left off. We're going to look at scenes three and scenes four because it even gets crazier the longer it goes on. And the disciples learn some critically valuable lessons next week. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. Dear Lord, even though I have the same living water within me that you gave the Samaritan woman, so often I find myself searching for other things to fill my life. It's inconceivable that anyone who's tasted of your goodness would drink from any other well. Yet I have money, I have success, I have pleasure, I have popularity, I have security. In the end, all dry wells. But how many times have I lowered my cup into their depths? And how many times have I brought those cups up empty. God, keep vivid in my mind the time when you met me at the well and said, I who speak to you am he. And may the memory of that sacred moment of my salvation 
Keep me from wandering to seek water or any other well other than yours. God grants me diligence in watching over that sacred well. And let me not forget that even living water can be stagnated by indifference or tainted by impurities that I tolerate and allow in my life. Father, keep me pure. Father, put in my heart people this week where I can can have real-life encounters and share the gospel and my faith and that many more will come to know your son, Jesus Christ. And break down in my heart any prejudices that I hold against other people. Help me to live life with no regrets. Help me to say the things that need to be said to the people that I love. And Father, we rejoice in the precious time that we've had together this morning. And so to your name, to your name, Lord Jesus, be glory and honor and praise forever and ever and ever and ever. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.